Well, here we are, Palm Sunday 2020, and entering into Holy Week, thinking about three crowns right now. The first crown is the crown of Palm Sunday. It's a figurative crown. The people hailed Jesus as the coming king who was to save them. They had heard his teachings. They had seen the miracles. They had even seen the dead raised to new life. And they knew that Jesus was the coming king to rescue his people. But it was, he was not rescuing the way that they thought. There's a, a second crown. It's a literal crown, a crown of thorns that was placed on Jesus's head. And he was, um, he was beaten and tortured. And a crown of thorn placed on his head and he was crucified, nailed to a cross and died. And he did it for you and for me. He gave his life for us. The third crown that is on our mind this week is a crown-shaped virus, the coronavirus. And it is Jesus the King ushering in God's kingdom, ushering it in through the cross and wearing the crown of thorns that helps us to understand that God is with us in the midst of our present crisis. That God is with us in our fear and in our suffering today because of what he did when he wore that crown of thorns. It is our faith in God, and it is our community of Christian love that will sustain us through this time together. In fact, I would argue that the more messed up our world is, the more that our Christian faith makes sense. The more messed up our world is, the more our Christian faith makes sense. If our world was just fine and everything was very predictable and safe and routine, the Christian faith would be basically unnecessary. If, if the world worked strictly on the principle that if you do good things, then good things will happen to you. And if you do bad things, then bad things will happen to you. Uh, then our faith wouldn't make any sense. Because bad things do happen to good people. There's struggles that we all face. This world is not predictable. We know that the world is not a safe place. There are so many things that rob us of our joy and our peace and even our health. And when we see the brokenness of the world and when we experience the brokenness of the world in our own lives, we know that we need a rescue. We know that we need a savior and we have a savior. His name is Jesus. He came to seek and save that which was lost in a broken world, that we might find forgiveness and wholeness and real peace and real joy with hope that there is more to life than this. And we're going to explore that together this morning. One of the key events of Holy Week is the institution of communion, the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, we sometimes call it. Communion is a gift that Jesus has given his people to remember him, to remember what he has done, to proclaim what he has done, and to experience him in a special way. But this church in Corinth, who this letter was written to, 1 Corinthians, we call this book, they were getting it wrong. This, this gift that Jesus had given them, this ceremony that they could participate in, supposed to unify them and point them to Jesus, but it was pointing them the way they were practicing. It was pointing them away from Jesus. It was disunifying them. They were um, divided. They were even becoming sick, and they were just totally missing the point. So we want to learn from them, and we want to avoid perhaps some of the same mistakes that they made. We need to lean into our faith and into what God, everything that God has given us, especially during this time. Let us pray as we approach God's word together. 
So, Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that during this time you would be our teacher. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So what was the problem here? What was going on? We, we see described in these verses and picking up in verse 23. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. The Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter, he's reminding them of what Jesus did when he instituted the Lord's Supper, when he, when he instituted communion. He, he reminds them, verse 23, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In verse 25, he says, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Communion, the way that Jesus instituted it, it describes the gospel. It describes the good news. It, we're reminded this world is a broken place, and it's broken by sin. But Jesus, who had no sin, he came to this broken and sinful world and he took the punishment for sin on himself, on the cross. He gave his body and he gave his blood in death for us that we might receive life in him. He was our substitute. He stood in our place when he did that. And communion commemorates that. It remembers his body given for us, his blood shed for us. And it's this simple act of eating bread and drinking from the cup. It's a beautiful, meaningful, and in many ways very simple, but just profound experience. And Jesus said, when you gather and when you do this, you're going to do this in remembrance of me. But the problem in Corinth was that there was great disparity in the church. Some of the the Christians in Corinth were wealthy. They may have been business owners, they're homeowners. But there was also many Christians who were poor, the working class, actually a large slave class in the city of Corinth. And the church didn't have a building. They would meet in a house and it would probably be the house of one of the wealthier people. They'd probably have the biggest house. And that's a good thing. If you have a big house, you should have uh, people in your house and host. There's nothing inherently wrong with having a, a big house. Uh, but they would gather and part of their gathering was the Lord's Supper. They would celebrate communion together, sort of like we do that today, except it was tied to a bigger feast, a bigger meal. So they would gather and have this big meal and they would do this more ceremonial thing as part of that, that meal. But the dining area in a home in the first century wasn't meant to host a whole church of people. And so it would fill up quickly. And who would show up the earliest were people who didn't have to be working was typically your, probably your wealthier people in your community. So they would come to the house and they would eat. And there was plenty of food and drink and they would be celebrating and have a wonderful time of fellowship together. It's a good thing. But what would happen is later, the working class people would show up and there wasn't uh, any food left. And everybody else was having a great time and they were drinking and eating and, and there's nothing left and people were going hungry. In this beautiful celebration that should have been uniting them was dividing them apart. And if we understand the good news of Jesus, it should, for us and for all believers in Jesus, it should be radically unifying for us. 
It should change the way that we view what we do and why we do it. And it should change our view of other people as well. If, if we understand the good news of Jesus, it should genuinely and radically make us others focused. See, the good news of Jesus is based on his grace. That means it's a gift. None of us could earn it. Nobody could earn what Jesus has given us. Therefore, I'm, I can't be superior to someone else because I didn't earn anything from Jesus. Neither did you or anyone else. We all stand on the same ground with Jesus's grace. And our faith in Jesus and his grace is all based on Jesus giving up what he had for us. He came to serve us, to give his life for us. So if I follow Jesus, I too should be focused on giving to others. It would just be hypocrisy to do otherwise. Christians should be famous for thinking of others first. Just being radically focused on the other. Why? Not just because it's the right thing to do, but because Jesus did it for us. The way of the cross is the way of giving your life. We, we, and we can't do it perfectly. We, we fall short. But, but we, we pursue this way of life because when we consider Jesus's ministry and his life and receiving his grace, it changes us to become more like him. There was a, a Christian historian named uh, Rodney Stark, and he wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. And many people believe that Christianity became uh, large and grew rapidly following the conversion of the Roman Emperor Constantine. And certainly Christianity did grow following that. But Stark, in his book, he describes that actually when the Emperor Constantine came to faith in the 4th century... Uh, he, he was really just part of a wave of Christianity that was already rapidly growing. And he said the reason that it grew rapidly wasn't because people in power uh, accepted Christianity. It was because of life in the first century was very hard. And there were plagues in the first century. And many people fled the cities. But it was the Christians who stayed behind and cared for the sick. And provided for those in need and stayed and served and gave of themselves. And, and Christianity grew because of that. And Christians uh, were together in community, which helped them survive better than others who didn't have that type of community. And Christians also had a context for suffering, which gave them an understanding of what was happening and helped them to persevere through some very difficult times. For us, the same can be true for us today in, in our current situation, that we can have a context for suffering, that we know that this world uh, can, will have suffering, and we can care for one another as a community in that, and, um, and we can support one another. We have, we have the support of our Christian community. Again, what we call social distancing, really, remember, it's physical distancing. It's not being socially cut off from one another. We're going to connect socially. Yes, physical distancing. Uh, but they, we coin these phrases and it's kind of unfortunate. But we need to stay socially connected to one another spiritually connected to one another through our groups, uh, through uh, reaching out on the phone and however we can in safe ways to serve and to love and to keep that context to know that yes, this world is broken, but God is the rescuer. He has sent Jesus uh, to save and to heal a broken world. And the call for us right now today is to be outward looking. In Corinth, you know, they had some people who, they, they weren't looking out for each other. There was some who were eating and celebrating, and there was others who were going hungry at the exact same time. 
The call here is that if we truly understand and embrace the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, what he did for you, then you will be thinking of others first. We'll be waiting on each other and we will do it. We'll be doing things equally. Now, we can't erase every division between us. And I've been struggling with this this week because people's struggles are really across a whole spectrum of things right now. For some people, their main struggle is being cooped up at home and going a little stir crazy and trying to get along with your own family, finding good things to do. For other people, their struggle is is a loss of income and financial hardship right now. For other people, their struggle is having to go into work in a hospital every day and becoming completely overwhelmed by their caseload from the lack of resources, from seeing death every day. That's quite a spectrum of problems. But God has put us all in different places. We can't necessarily erase every division. Some of us, um, you know, compared to others, maybe our troubles aren't as severe. But the common thing that we are called to is to trust God, to think of others first, and to do whatever we can to serve one another in this time. And that doesn't change. That's the same for all of us. Now, Paul gives a, a real practical solution for them uh, to, their, to the problem that this church was having. In verses 28 and 29, he says, Everybody ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. The, the first step was to consider Jesus, to stop and to remember what Jesus has done for this world. Make sure that is your first and primary focus. Step two, the the second part of the solution was to consider others. Verse 33. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. And anyone who's hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Look, just when you meet together, make sure it's equal and that you're sharing and that, you know, do do at home what you need to do so that when you gather, um, you be considerate of others. Those two things, consider Christ and consider other people. It's such a, it's a simple formula, but that is the key. And we can apply this in so many ways. One of the big problems that we're seeing, especially this over the last few weeks here, is that people are really struggling with their identity. You know, who am I really? What is my life all about if the things that were so important to me are taken away from me? Whether it was my, my work, my income, or the, the, the way that we were pursuing things. I can't do those things now. What, who am I and what am I to do? And people are really struggling with that. But if we take these same two steps, this is a great antidote for the despair that people are feeling. That we consider Christ first. And then we consider others. And as you do that, you will find your purpose in life. I've heard it described like this, that you can either be a Christian who's full of joy or a Christian who's full of yo. And what I mean by that is joy is spelled J-O-Y. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And if we live that way of joy, then it will all make sense. That we understand who we are in Jesus. That will never change. And we understand our call for all of us to consider others. And then then we consider ourselves and our purpose. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. Or you could live your life uh, yo, Y-O. Yourself first, others second, and then you forget all about Jesus. We want to be Christians who are full of joy and who share that joy with each other. 
And that's God's word for us today. Now, uh, normally on the first Sunday of the month, we would celebrate communion together. We would actually partake in this thing that's described in this very passage. And uh, we can't do that as we are uh, separated. So later this week, I want to give instructions to you on Thursday as part of our Thursday service about how uh, you might be able to participate in communion uh, even during this time of, of isolation and distancing. Uh, but for now, we remember that we focus on Christ and what he has done. We consider the needs of others and we, we just press into this very difficult season with the hope and the knowledge of what Christ has done for us. Let us pray. Father God, uh, we acknowledge that everything Jesus did was giving of himself. He gave up his heavenly throne to come to this earth to walk and to serve us, to give his life even on the cross in our place. And Lord, we thank you for the hope of resurrection, that, that new life is possible, and that we too will experience a fullness of, of healing and wholeness in our world. But today we struggle, and we cling to that hope. We trust you for your forgiveness, and we trust you for the purpose that you give our lives now, as we know you and as we share uh, the love and the knowledge of you with others, that they too may have hope in the midst of a season of struggle and of illness and even of death, Lord. We thank you that you are greater than all of these things, that you give us joy in this life, and you give us hope for all eternity. Bring hope to our land, bring hope to our lives. Increase our faith, Lord. Help us to love excellently, because you have loved us perfectly. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.